Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk. How are we doing this morning? Good, doing all right. Some of you are watching online. We're glad that you're with us. One thing that we uh, are going to be starting back before we dive into the next part of our series, one thing we're going to be starting back, and if you have been with us and kind of been a part of this church for maybe the last four or five months, you probably even haven't heard of this, uh, but before COVID and all the changes, we were doing a thing called Growth Track. And what Growth Track was, was it was a four-week class where you could take that class, and that class would help you learn more about our church. It would help you learn more about how to grow in your faith. Uh, it would help you learn a little bit more about how God had uniquely gifted you and, and really help you plug in. And so we used to do it on week one of the month. You would go to class one, week two, class two, and so on and so forth. But we decided uh, that since things have been different, we thought, why not change that? And so we're going to offer a thing called Growth Track One Day, where you can go, and if you're the type of person that's like, you know what, I'd rather not do four weeks in a row, I just would rather get it done in one day, uh, we're going to do that on November 14th uh, at 9.30 in the morning till about 11.30, we're going to offer that in the uh, fellowship hall here, and so you can come and, and knock out the entire Growth Track class, and it, it's something that will help you, as I mentioned, grow in your faith. If you're new to City Walk and you want to know a little bit more about, hey, what do we believe? What are the values of this church? Why do they do what they do? All of that takes place in Growth Track, and we encourage everyone that calls City Walk home to make Growth Track a priority. And so that's something that we're going to be offering, and we would love you to get involved in that, and you'll hear more about that in the days to come. Uh, this week, my wife, uh, I, was, I think I was sitting at my desk, and probably maybe may have been working on this message, uh, but I was sitting at my desk, and my wife sent me a text. And that's not abnormal. If you're married or you're dating somebody, you know, you get a you know, text back and forth throughout the day. Well, she sent me a text with a picture of a text from a group that she's in. And so she is in a, a Bible study group that meets at our house with a couple other ladies. And uh, she sent me a picture of the text that they had kind of been writing back and forth uh, that morning. And what was really interesting about this text and extremely scary for me as a 43-year-old, and you'll understand here in a second, is both of the girls in the group with my wife had a dream about my wife, and they dreamt the exact same thing the night before. And that what they, what they dreamt is that my 40-something-year-old wife was pregnant. And they, and they both, on the, I mean, you know, separate nights that have been okay, but they both, like one of them said, Hey, Lori, you'll never guess what I dreamt about you last night. And yeah, you're, you're going to be pregnant. And then the other one piped in, I had the exact same dream last night. I'm like, 
I don't know what I believe about dreams, but that scared me. And so we're actually sleeping in separate rooms for the next few weeks to make sure not, to kind of none of that happens. Uh, but what, what it did do, it did remind me, seeing those texts did remind me of when we did have a surprise. And our surprise is now seven years old, and her name is Kate. Uh, we were entering, and some of you know our family, we were kind of entering the middle school age with our other two kids, and man, we had a, a boy and a girl both entering kind of the middle school age, and so we were, we were done with diapers, we were done, in fact, I remember holding Julia when she was a baby, who, she's our second child, I remember holding her, kind of walking her at night when she was crying and upset, and literally in my mind, I might even have said it out loud, this is the last time. That's all right. This is the last time. We can do this. We can do this. Last time. Well, it wasn't, and we had a surprise, and her name was Kate. And I remember when, when we found out that we were pregnant with Kate. I say we, obviously, I wasn't pregnant with Kate, but, but you guys know. Uh, when, when we found out, we, we, it took us by surprise in a huge way because, man, we had forgotten we had given away all the stuff you have to have to have a baby. We had forgotten what it was like to diapers and bottles and not sleeping at night and all this stuff. But when Kate was born, it's kind of like riding a bike. You uh, Maybe for survival's sake, you kind of pick it back up pretty quick. And we found ourselves starting to get excited about the things that new parents get excited about. Like the first night, we actually got three hours sleep straight was an exciting night. You know, the, the first time you, you hear, see that baby start to crawl, we were excited. Man, when they take that first step, you get excited. And probably the thing that is maybe a first that you get maybe most excited about is when you hear them talk for the first time, when they actually start to say words and talk. And, and you get so excited about that. And I can remember when, when Kate started to talk, that just being a big deal for, for Lori and I and for our family. And, and you guys know this, and, and from an early age we learn this. From an early age, we learn that words are important. Like we make a really big deal when that baby says that first word, when they, when they begin to talk, it's a big deal. And, and so even from a young age, that baby starts to realize that, man, words are important. Words are a big deal. People get excited about it when you talk. And, and, and so from an early age, you learn that. But here's what you also learn. Unfortunately, pretty early on in your life, you also realize that words are powerful and they're not always used for good. In fact, it doesn't take long before you realize that even as a little kid, that words can be used to hurt, words can be used to manipulate, and nobody has to teach you that, nobody has to tell you that, you just from an early age, you begin to understand that not only are words important, but words also can be used for good, they can be used for bad, they can be used to hurt people, and to make it even more complicated today, we have many more avenues for our words. So not only now do we say words, but we text words, we post words. There's a lot more lanes for our words to go out and do good and do bad. 
And so we have all these, these avenues for our words. We, we understand from an early age that our words are, are powerful and can be used to manipulate or hurt or encourage. And, and what's interesting about this is we're not the obviously first generation to have struggles with words. So we may have a lot of new avenues for our words, but people have been struggling with how they use their words for thousands of years. And in fact, people have not only been struggling with that, but people have been writing about that. And one of the people that wrote a lot about how we use our words was a man we've been talking about by the name of Solomon. Solomon was a guy that he uh, was the third king of Israel. His daddy was somebody that it, whether you grew up in church or not, you probably have heard of this guy. His name was David. David was the second king of Israel, and so Solomon was the third king of Israel. And Solomon was known, if you've been here the last few weeks or you've been watching online, you know that Solomon was known around the world for two things. He was known around the world for his incredible wealth. One of the streams of income that he had coming in every year was 25 tons of gold. Every single year of his reign, he, he received 25 tons of gold just as one stream of income. He had incredible wealth and he was known for that. He built buildings that for that time were like no one built what he built and they were beautiful. The things that he would use to just build the, the, the places where people would stand were valuable jewels. I mean, he had unmatched wealth, but he was also known for his wisdom. He was the wisest man of his day. And maybe the wisest ever to live. And, and people would come from all over the world. World leaders would come. And, and in those days, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to jump on a plane and head to Israel and I'll get there in a few hours. No, people would journey for days and weeks to sit down with Solomon and hear the Proverbs come out of his mouth and, and the words and his decision making. And they would learn from him because he was so wise. He was so wise that he wrote down, and we have a few hundred of them in the Old Testament. He wrote down several proverbs that are short statements that give wisdom. And one of the things he talked about most, if you, if you were to sit down and read through the entire book of Proverbs, one of the subjects he talked about most were words. The importance of them, the use of them, the power of them. And whether you consider yourself a person of faith or not, I think you'll find that Solomon's insights are helpful. And so in, in Proverbs chapter 18, here's what Solomon says, and this will be up on the screen, and you could also find this in the app. It says this, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. He says this, he says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his words, what he's talking about is his words. His stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. The, the fruit of his words produce a harvest. They produce a product. And he says, hey, they're, they're, your, your words, they, they produce something. And it might be good things, it might be bad things, but your words produce a harvest. Just like our farmers. We have a lot of farmers 
Uh, in our community, we have some that are in our church. And right now, a lot of our farmers in the area are in the middle of harvest. And here's what you won't hear uh, at a farmer's house after a long day's work. You're not going to hear an almond farmer after a long day's work come in and be upset after he's harvested all day long. He's not going to come in and be upset because he found out that his almond trees have produced oranges this year. Like that's not going to be, he may be upset about other things. It may have been a long day, a machine may have broken. And so he may be upset for other reasons, but he's not going to be upset because, hey, my tree produced a different kind of fruit this year. That's not going to happen. And like a plant produces fruit, here's what Solomon was saying. My words, whether I like it or not, produce consequences. They produce consequences, and that they can be good consequences, they can be bad, but they produce consequences. And Solomon, he continues and kind of expands on this idea in verse 21. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Solomon says, hey, death, that, that word death is the, the same word for ruin. Death or ruin and life are in the power of the tongue. And, and here's what the idea is. That, that word power literally means like the hand. It's like your words was a person. And in your words, hands are death and life. You, you, you can use either of them. You have death and you have life in the hand of your words. And you can use death or life in two different ways, obviously. And what Solomon's point was is that, man, your, your words are powerful. Sometimes, and, and we all do this, we say things and don't realize that how powerful our words are. We don't realize how, how people may hear or take the things we say. We don't realize the, the consequences of our words for good or for bad. And what Solomon is saying, he's saying, hey, your words produce consequences and you have the power of death and life. In the hand of your words to use for good or for bad. And in the New Testament, and if you've, if you've studied any of the New Testament, you'll know that Jesus' brother James actually wrote about the tongue. And, and here's what he said, which we in this area of the country should be able to relate to incredibly. Because James was trying to make the same point that, hey, your words and your tongue are powerful. It's, yeah, a small body part, but it's a body part that can be used for incredible good or destruction. And here's how James says it in James chapter 3, verse 4. It says this. He says, look at the ships also. They, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So he uses the ship as an illustration. Huge ship. Strong winds. It's guided by a very small rudder that guides the whole thing. But then he goes on. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. And this is where we can relate. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He, he uses the, word, the tongue 
two illustrations. He says, it's like the rudder on a ship that's, man, a very small part on that ship, but that has such power to direct the entire ship. But then he says this, he says, ablaze, which in our area, we understand that. I mean, we have thousands of acres that have been burned up because of a gender reveal party. Like, Man, nobody, when they went out to do the gender reveal party or when they flicked the cigarette or when they started the small campfire that was just really small thought, hey, this small thing is going to set thousands and thousands of acres on fire. Because, man, we don't, we don't, we never have that picture and it's hard for us to imagine that something so small can cause such destruction. And James, like Solomon, is saying, hey, your tongue, it's small, and it's seemingly not, not that important, but yet it is so powerful, and you hold death, and you hold life in the hands of your tongue. And you can use them for good or bad, and there will be consequences. Our words are powerful. They will produce death or life. They will destroy or they will refresh. Throughout Proverbs, Solomon, what he does is he gives us some examples of what this looks like. And so let's talk about how we use our words for death. Here's a few examples. Proverbs 25, 18 says this. Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with an arrow. I bet, I mean, we don't think this. I mean, you think, man, a small lie, not, not really that big of a deal. I'm just going to tell a little lie about this person. And what Solomon's point is, hey, when we lie, what seems small, he says, man, you're using your words for death. I mean, he uses language like, man, you're shooting them with an arrow. You're harming people. You're using your words for death. But then he goes on in another passage and he says this. In Proverbs 16, verse 28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Again, another way that we can take our words and we can have power to give life or death. And when we lie, when we gossip, basically what we're doing is we're we're using the hand that has death in it. And unfortunately, and some of you may have left the church because of this, gossip has kind of become the uh, sin that everybody puts up with in church. It's, it's kind of the acceptable sin. Like, you know, we kind of just talk about people behind their back and we, we do it in the form of a prayer request, which makes it okay with God. But we, we, we do that and it, it's kind of become this acceptable thing. And what Solomon says, he says, when you do that, you're, you're, you're killing, you're hurting, you're destroying with your tongue. When you're talking about someone instead of to someone, you're using your tongue for destruction. You're harming. But then what he does is he, he also shares some examples of how we can use our words for life. He says this in Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
When I return anger with gentleness, when, I, when, when in the middle of an argument at work, when it, whenever I'm getting into it with, with my spouse, or whenever the, the, the level, the volume of the conversation goes up and people begin to yell and get upset, if I return that with gentle words, it changes the conversation quick. In fact, you will freak people out. If you're at work tomorrow, you're on the job site tomorrow and, man, somebody starts to get loud and upset at you and maybe you deserve it. Maybe like, yeah, they should be upset at you. But you return their anger with gentle words, it changes the conversation. But usually, I mean, what are we tempted to do? Like, you yelled at me, you got angry at me, you made accusations about me. Well, let me up the volume a notch and let me add some more accusations and let me give it back to you. And does that ever work? Does that ever be, okay, well, you yelled louder than me. Let's stop now. We're good. No, it just elevates. And, and that's what Solomon is saying. Man, when you use your words for life, you return anger with gentleness. It can change the game. It changes the conversation. He says this in Proverbs 25, 11, Timely advice is lovely like golden apples and silver baskets. When I use my words to give good advice, I'm giving life. He says this in Proverbs 12, 25, worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. Today, you, you went, and I did, you went to Starbucks on the way here, or you are going to go to a restaurant after church today. And you're going to interact with a waiter or a waitress, you're going to interact with a barista, you're going to interact with a cashier. And you're not going to know that, man, they're struggling with anxiety. You're not going to know. You can't read it on their face that, man, their life is being turned upside down right now. And you and I, we have the power of life and death in our words. And we don't, like I said, we don't, we don't know and we don't realize that just encouraging that person, just saying maybe one or two lines that to us seem so small might change their whole day. That encouragement, instead of being a jerk to them because they were a little late with your coffee or your, your drink was a little different than what you asked for, man, you could encourage them with your words. And because our words are so powerful. I got down here, I have this sword. And anytime you can use a sword as an illustration, I mean, you just make up things to talk about when you can use a sword. Is it not really... Uh, but I have this sword up here. And I mean, this is like a legit sword, too. So, I mean, if you come and rub your hand against this, you may get to go be encouraging to the people in the ER because you'll have to get some stitches. Uh, but a relative of mine gave me this. This was used, and not this exact one, but this is a replica, uh, was used in the 16th century in, in England and some other parts of the world. It's a 16th century replica. And uh, when you look at this sword, and if you were up here and you were to be able to touch it, I mean, like I said, it's sharp. And uh, if you stuck somebody with that, it would hurt. These, these swords back then, and even today, if we wanted to, uh, can be used for a lot of different things. So these swords, back when they were made, were used for both good and bad. They were used to protect, to restore, to bring safety, and, and good some good things. But then these swords, they were also used to destroy, to kill to tear apart, to do a lot of bad things. And really, what determined what this sword 
did, whether it was used for good or for bad, it really came down to one thing. And it's the same thing that determines how we use our words. It comes down to one thing about the person that's holding the sword, and it comes down to one thing about the person and their words, whether they use their words for good or for bad, whether they use this sword for good or for bad. And Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus talks about what that one thing is that determines how we use our words and really would determine how someone would use that sword. Look with me at at, uh, Luke chapter 6. You may have heard this. It says this in verse 44. It says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. Like, okay, rocket science, not, not hard to understand that. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And then it says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let me, let me read that again. And sometimes we, there's portions of scripture that you're like, well, I wish they wouldn't have put that in there. For out of the abundance of the heart, his or her mouth speaks. See, I don't lie or gossip because I had a bad day or because I really didn't know what I was doing. You know why I lie or gossip or hurt people with my words? Because that's what's in my heart. Yeah, I might have had a bad day, and my bad day may show what's in my heart because I use my words. It, it, may, it may show, you know, what's really going on, but it's, it's that bad day, or, you know, somebody didn't do what I thought they were going to do, or, or, hey, somebody pulled out in front of me or did something to me that I thought was wrong. Man, that didn't cause me to use my words in a bad way. That just caused me to say what was already in my heart. And I would guess it's the same for you. And there's a statement that you and I need to think about and maybe even grapple with, and it's this statement. My words are powerful and reflect what is in my heart. So there's two parts to this. This is important. My words are powerful. We've already talked about that. Sometimes we, we think, hey, man, when I say this, it's not that big of a deal. I'm, I'm just young or, you know, I, I have an excuse for this. And no matter if you're young or you're old, no matter if you have a certain job or you're a certain leader in your job or whether you're the lowest person on a totem pole at your job, your words and my words are powerful. Your words are powerful and we need to understand that. But then that second part, not only are my words powerful, but they reflect what's in my heart. My words are a mirror for my heart. When you hear me talk, you should say, be able to say, hey, I know exactly what Chris's heart looks like. I know what's in his heart because my words reflect my heart, as do yours. And it's this truth that Solomon gives us, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, whether we're investigating faith or not, whether you're watching online right now or you're here this morning, this is a statement that that should stop us to at least reflect. It should cause us to think about this. It, It should cause us to ask ourselves some questions. And here are some questions we may want to ask ourselves. Do my words produce life or death? Do my words 
give or take? Do my words encourage or destroy? Do I make people feel bigger or smaller with my words? I mean, you, you know, you've been around some people and maybe you've been the person that when they talk, take, 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 take. But then you've also been around people that when they speak, they refresh you. They encourage you. It's like they're giving. Their, their words give. But then there's other people that when they talk, it's like they, they want, they want, they want. And you, I mean, you just feel stuff being sucked out of you just by being around them. And then you also have some people in your life that, that when you get around those people, man, they, they, they make you feel bigger. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like a proud way, but man, they encourage you. But then you have other people in your life where they, they think that's the, their job to make sure you don't get too proud. And so they, they try to, you, when you get done talking to them, you feel smaller, you feel discouraged. And the, really the question is, we think about this, this idea that my words are powerful and reflect what's in my heart. We have to ask ourselves these questions so that we can, you know, really know. And, and asking these questions isn't the big part. The big part is answering them honestly. Because we can ask these all day and be like, yeah, I'm good. But if we ask them and we really ask God, God, show me. How am I using my words? Show me. Even if it's, the answer is ugly, show me. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, there's one more question that you need to ask yourself. And here's the, the question is this. Do my words draw people to Jesus or do they push them away? Like when people hear me talk at work, when they hear me interact with my family at the park, when they see... You know, it, are they drawn to a relationship with Jesus or do they say, you know what, if that's how he talks, why would I want what he has? I, I know he does the church thing and yeah, I know he's some kind of religious thing, but man, I, I hear how he talks and I hear how he, he makes people feel smaller with his words and I hear how he talks to his family. Do I really want that? I think I'm good. I think I'll just keep what I have. I'll try what I have because what he has doesn't seem to work. And it's a question we should ask ourselves because, and here's what we know, the thing is no matter where you are as it relates to faith, no matter where you are as it relates to how old you are, we all know that words are powerful. And here's why we know, because we've been affected by words, we've been hurt, and we've also hurt people. We know that. And so nobody has to convince us, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, nobody has to convince us that our words are powerful. We know some of you, you're, you're, you're in your 40s and 50s, and you can remember being insulted when you were eight, and it still sticks with you because of how someone used their words. We, we all have those stories. We know that our words are powerful, and, and, and none of us set up to... Like none of us set out to jack people's lives up or give people emotional scars because of our words. It's not like that's what we set out to do. But if we're honest, we struggle. I mean, we don't set out to hurt people. But if we're honest, every single one of us, maybe, maybe you don't, but most of us would say, man, this is an area that, man, I definitely don't have it down in. I sometimes struggle with how I use my words. 
And, and while there's like not a magic pill, you're like, if there was, I would definitely take it if it would fix this for me. But there's, there's obviously not a magic pill that you can take that, hey, as long as I take this pill, I'll be nice to people all day. I'll reflect Jesus with my words. There's no, nothing like that. But, but there is some, some scripture in, that Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 12 that, that I want to kind of leave with you. I want you to think about it because I think the, the answer and maybe some of the, the things that would help us use our words in a way that would bring glory to God but also be life-giving, Paul talks about. And he talks about in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and if you, if you know anything about Romans, if you, whether you grew up in church or not, Paul's writing, guess who he's writing to in Romans? Shocker, Romans. He's writing to, to people in Rome, and he's just kind of for the first 11 chapters of, of Romans, he's talked about how, how Jesus died for sin and grace and mercy, just in, the incredible story of Jesus and what Jesus had done. But then he I appeal to you there, chapter 12, verse 1, and he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, basically because of everything I've just told you about Jesus' grace, his mercy, and all he's done, because of that, I appeal to you, I, I beg you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies or surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, that phrase there, renewal of your mind, basically means to renovate or remodel. It's the same, the same word that you would use if you were saying, hey, what are you about to do to your bathroom? We're going to tear everything out. We're going to put all a all bunch of new stuff in. We're going to remodel. We're going to renovate our bathroom. This is the word. He's saying, this is what you need to do with your mind. You need to renovate your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul says this, two things. That, I don't know, you may have never thought about as it relates to your words or your mouth. He, he says, the, the first thing he says, he says, you need to present your bodies or surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this idea of surrender is this idea where we, where we would come before God and say, God, I can't control my words on my own. I, I need some help here. I surrender. I, I need your help. And so let me ask you this question, and you may have never thought about this. Have you ever given God your mouth? You say, oh, that's kind of weird. What does that mean? Like, like, have you ever started your day by saying, you know what? Before I text, before I post, before I interact with the guys at work, before I interact with my kids, God, my mouth is yours. Today, I surrender my words to you. I need your help today because I want to use my words for you. I want to use my words to give life. Have you ever done that? And then that, that second word that, that we talked about in this passage is that word renovate. He talks about the renewal of your mind. 
It's no wonder that we struggle with our words. Our hearts are full of worry and anger and jealousy and pride and insecurity. And yeah, we don't want anybody to know that, but no wonder we struggle with our words because our hearts are full of all these things. And what Paul's saying here, he's saying you need to remove, you need to have, ask God to help you remove these things from your heart and then you need to put in some new things by spending time with God. You need to renovate. So, I mean, what would it, I mean, what would it look like? Think about it. Imagine what your life would look like tomorrow if when you woke up before you did anything else, you spent 15 minutes with God. And in that 15 minutes with God, you, you, you said, man, I know there's some crazy stuff in my heart. And God, would you help remove those thoughts, remove those worries, remove that anger, remove that bitterness, remove that insecurity, that worry, whatever it is. Would you remove it from my heart? And, and I want to spend time with you, God. And I'd like, as I spend time in your word for 15 minutes, would you replace that with some things that will help me give life with my words? What, if, what would that look like? And what if before you, you sent that first text, what if before you posted anything, what if before you interacted with people, after you were done spending 15 minutes with God, you surrendered your mouth to God tomorrow? And, and you probably already know this. This isn't like a one-time surrender thing. Because most of us, I mean, some of us, we may need to make that like an hourly reminder on our phone, like... That needs to pop up every hour. Let me re-surrender my mouth to you this hour, God, because I struggle. It's, it's at least daily. It's at least, hey, God, today, I, you know, I'm not good with my words, and I will bite someone's head off, or I will say things that won't bring you glory. If, if, if left to myself, I'm a train wreck with my mouth, but I surrender my words to you. Help me today. Help me today. What if? You and I walked into our day tomorrow with a prayer that Solomon's daddy, David, wrote in Psalms 19. Psalms 19, 14, this is what David said. This is Solomon's daddy. He said this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, what I meditate and think about on the inside, be acceptable in your sight. Not, not in everybody else's, but that tomorrow I'm living for an audience of one. There's only one person that my words need to be acceptable for, and his name is Jesus. In your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And, and Maybe tomorrow you, you want to write this statement on the car, a card just so you can remember it. But it's that statement that we talked about a little earlier. My words are powerful and reflect what is in my heart. So this afternoon, when you interact with your family, when you interact with a person at the restaurant, you hold life and death in your hands. You hold life and death tomorrow when you go to work in your hands, in the power of your words. And on, on our own, I mean, just being honest, we're going to choose death most of the time because we're insecure. 
and we are, are, are driven by our flesh if, we're, if we let it happen that way. And so what if as a church, we became known as a church that, man, if you're ever around those people, whether you believe what they believe or not, you're going to be refreshed. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to leave and you're going to, be, have, you're going to have been given life and refreshed. And you know what? You can go to that church and you don't have to worry about people talking behind your back. You don't have to worry about, hey, I don't have all my stuff together, so am I even welcomed at this church? And if I am welcomed, is there like a group of people that are going to look at me and talk about me behind my back because I don't have life together like they pretend to? No. What if we were a church that just believed that our words could give life or death and just chose to surrender our individual words and then as a gathering to the Lord and say, Lord, help us be a life-giving word giver at home, at work, and in our community. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just the, the wisdom of Solomon. And Lord, I, I know uh, Solomon was a man that was a flawed man. His dad, David, was a flawed man. But these flawed men under just the power of your spirit, wrote down some very wise things for us now thousands of years later. And Lord, I pray as, as we interact with people, even today, Lord, before we leave church today, we're going to have an opportunity to give life or death with our words. We're going to leave this place. We're going to go to restaurants and homes and workplaces and we're going to have the opportunity to give life or death with our words. Lord, I pray first of all that you would help us to understand our words are powerful. Whether we're a teenager, whether we're a grandma, our words are powerful and affect people. And God, for some of us in this moment, we need to just repent. For some of us that are followers of you that have not used our words correctly and we've used our words to, to give death and destruction, Lord, we need to just repent before you and say we were wrong. And God, I pray that as we move forward and we're so thankful for your grace and how your grace allows us to start over new, I pray that as individuals, we would surrender our words to you. I pray as dads that we would surrender our words to you. I pray as moms, as grandmas and grandpas, as young adults, that we would surrender our words to you. And as we're interacting with other people, Lord, would they just be able to look at us and know just by the way that we talk that something is different about that person? Lord, help us to be a life-giving word giver. In Jesus' name, amen.